Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com going to Brother Peter, who will be preaching the sermon today. God bless you. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's a bit strange sitting in front of this screen, talking, looking at myself, but um, I trust um, I'll have some precious truths from God's Word to share with you as, uh, as we have the truth of God's Word in the Bible. And uh, he's come to given us, he's given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, the Lord Jesus, who is the true God and his eternal life. This morning, I'd just like to share some thoughts with regards to drawing near to God. And I'm going to start with Hebrews 11, verse 4 to verse 6. And this is what it says. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. And by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so we, here we find, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Now, both Cain and Abel offered. They both came before God. They both came to God with an offering. And Abel, he bought a lamb. He bought what God had instructed them to bring. Because both of them came to fellowship with God, they had to deal with the sin. God had to deal in mercy with the sin that separated him from them and the only way that God could deal with the sin was to remind them, to show them the, pa the payment for sin is death. And the only way that sin could be was forgiven was the shedding of a blood, the penalty of sin is death. And so the, the redeeming of sin was by the blood. Now, Abel bought the blood of a lamb and he offered it to God and it says that God had respect to Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and his offering, he had no respect. And we find that Cain has, 
having no Cain finding out that he God has no respect for him, he becomes angry. And he had a problem with anger management. And the reason why he had a problem with anger management, he came with the wrong motive. He came with the wrong attitude. He came with the wrong offering. Because for God to accept Cain, there had to be blood that was shed that would atone for his sins so God could fellowship with him. But Cain didn't want to come that way. He didn't want to come the way that God had designed for him to come and the only way that he could come that was acceptable to God. He came of his own, um, he came bringing what he wanted to bring to God and having no regard for the ways of God. And so he was rejected. And we find Cain becomes angry and John says this, he was of that wicked one, the devil. And he, he did what, and the reason why he killed his brother is because he had that hatred with his heart. His heart was not right with God. And we find God saying to Cain, before he went out and killed his brother, God says to Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? So God gives Cain a second chance. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if not, if you don't do what is right, sin lies at the door. It's crouching at the door and it's wanting to have you. But he says, you must master it. You must have control over it. Don't give in to sin. So God provides Cain a way by which he can fellowship with him. But Cain, in his, in his um, stubborn ways, in his pride, he goes out from the presence of God and he takes Abel with him for a walk and they commune in the field. And then Cain rises up and kills his brother. And we find, and what I want to bring, draw out this morning is this drawing near to God. The only way that they could draw near and be accepted was that blood must be shed on their behalf. And so we find that Abel is accepted. Abel is pleasing to God. And so he offers this lamb and he's accepted by God. Whereas Cain is not accepted because Cain came his own way and wanted to do what he wanted to do. And we find as a result of him doing what he did with his brother and killing with his brother, God pronounces judgment upon him and he goes out from the presence of God. He doesn't come. You, you don't find anywhere else where he comes back into the presence of God. He goes out and he builds a city. He's away from God and he's, le he's, he's left the way of God and he's going his way. And you find he lays the foundation of what is going to happen in the future of that generation before the flood. Because he was violent towards his brother, because he exhibited the, the nature of the wicked one, you find from then on, it says the earth became violent. Men killed one another. They were violence to, the, to one another. And it, it says the Lord was grieved that he had made man upon the earth because of the consequences of their actions, because of their, their they had corrupted the earth by their ways. Now it says this, by faith Enoch 
was taken from this life so that he did not experience death and he could not be found because God had taken him and because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one that pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he exists. And that word come is to draw near. He that draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So I just want to go through a little bit of the life of Enoch because I first dealt with Cain and Abel because God accepted Abel on the basis of the offering that he offered, the offering of a lamb. And you'll find even though it does not say it in the scripture, Enoch offered a lamb. Enoch came the way that God had instructed, the offering of a lamb for sin so that he could fellowship with God. And we know this because it says Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. God was pleased with Abel's offering. God was pleased with Abel. God was pleased with Enoch's offering. God was pleased with Enoch. And we find Enoch... When he's going, walking through his life, it says he walked with God. Now it says in Amos 3 verse 3, how can two walk together unless they agree? So you have to, if you're going to walk with God, you have to be in agreement with God. And the, only, then the way that God has designated by which we can approach him is only by means of the shed blood. And in that case, and when God had instituted he had instituted the shed blood of a lamb that they would offer by which they could approach him. It was the only way of approach. And you find that Enoch walked with God. He had fellowship with God. And as he fellowshiped with God, he became conscious. The closer he walked with God, the further from the world he departed, further from the way of this world. And Enoch saw the wickedness of man the way that God saw it. He saw it was great, and he warned his present time, and this is what he says in Jude, Enoch prophesied, and he says, the Lord is coming with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment upon all that are ungodly, of all their ungodly deeds, of it, that they have committed against him in an ungodly way, and all the hard speeches sinners have made against him. So Enoch looks around, he sees the present circumstances of violence in his world, which was, a re, which was the, the fruit of Cain's rebellion against God. And he prophesies and he says, the Lord is coming and he's going to judge. They didn't like his witness because it says, it says this of Enoch. He walked with God and he says he was not for God took him and he could not be found. They were looking for him. You know why they were looking for him? Because he, he testified to their works that they were evil, like the Lord Jesus says. Those who hate the light, they don't want to come and walk in the light. They hate it when they're walking in darkness. And so that world, they wanted to kill him, but God took him. They couldn't find him. They couldn't remove him from this earth because God had taken him away. And Enoch saw also another thing. He saw the compromise of the godly line. He saw this compromise happening 
when he saw the sons of God, those who were of the godly line, those who were of his line, taking wives of the ungodly line and the mixture until you come to Noah's time. And it says of Noah, God says, I have found you righteous in your generation. No one else, just Noah. And so we see this because of the compromise of God's way that he had ordained for them to approach him, the corruption of that way, we find that the whole earth became full of violence and there's only Noah that is left and his family. And as a result, God says, I'm going to wipe out all flesh. You see, the way to approach God, they had corrupted that way and they had become violent. Now it says in it says in in 1 Corinthians second sorry 2 Corinthians 6 This is what God says in this regard he says don't be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common and what fellowship can light have with darkness and what harmony is there between Christ and Belial and what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever and what agreement is there with the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And, you, and Enoch knew this. He knew you could not compromise with the world. He knew you could not fellowship with light, with darkness. And so he sees this taking place. He sees the evil of his world. And he knows, the, he knows the corruption that is taking place and he warns them. But they don't listen. But God wants to dwell among them. God wanted to walk amongst them. He wants to walk amongst us. He wants to dwell amongst us, that we would be his people. And therefore, he says, come out from among them and don't touch what is unclean. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. God wants to fellowship with you, us. He wants to commune with us. And that's why he called out the nation of Israel and he put his presence amongst them in the midst of the nation. He called out one nation amongst all the other nations and he wanted to put his glory in their midst, his presence in their midst, that they could draw near and that they could seek him and that they would be a witness to all the nations around them. And we find this, I'm just going to go across and I'm going to use Israel, a few examples from Israel. Now, when God called out the people of Israel, he called them out of bondage in Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness and he gave them his laws. He gave them his statutes and he spoke to them and he said, he called Moses up into the mount and he gave him plans for the tabernacle by which God could, could come in and communion. He gave them the way of worship, the way that they would come and to meet with God that was acceptable with God. So he gave Moses plans and a pattern of the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of what was in heaven. It wasn't the real, but it was a copy and a shadow. And God says, if you're going to come and fellowship with me, this is the way you have to come. 
And so he gives them this plan of the tabernacle. And, you, and he, as you went into the, the courtyard of the tabernacle on their outside, you came through a gate. And as you came to the gate, you came to a bronze altar, a bronze altar. And then you came to a bronze laver. And then you would come to the holy place. And in the holy place, you would have the seven branch candlestick on the left. You have the table of showbread on the right with the bread on it, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you would have the altar of incense in front of this veil, this big curtain that was separated the holy place from the holiest of all holies. And then behind the holiest of holies, sorry, then behind the curtain, you had the holiest of holies. And in the holiest of holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim that covered the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubs that looked down upon the Ark of the Covenant. They looked down upon the mercy seat that placed on top of the Ark. And in the Ark was the tabernacles of the covenant, which were the Ten Commandments. And they had the, the pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. And when everything was set in place like this in the tabernacle, the priests would minister and they would minister before God. They would come and do their offerings. But only once a year would the high priest and only the high priest could enter the holiest of all. They would enter through the veil. And in Hebrews, it says, never without blood, they would enter. And that was the means of approach by which God could deal with the sin of the people and dwell amongst his people. He had, to, he had to deal with their sin. And so the high priest would go in there, he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle it seven times upon that mercy seat. First, he had to go in with the incense. He took coals, he put incense on the coals and the incense would, would rise up as a cloud and cover the mercy seat. And he would, then he would take the blood and he would sprinkle the mercy seat. And he did it for himself and for the sin of the people. And he did had to do that continually year after year. Once a year he did it, but he did it year after year after year. And it says in Hebrews, the Holy Ghost, while that veil was there, the Holy Ghost was testifying that the way into the holiest of all, the way into the presence of all, God was not manifest or was not opened. Only the high priest, the common people couldn't come in. They couldn't offer. It only, only the priests, only the high priest could enter. Only the priests ministered to the Lord. The people were without, but they came. And that was the means by which they could fellowship with God. They could draw near. Now, it it says in Hebrews that even though they drew near, even though they drew near to God, yet all those offerings, all those sacrifices that were offered for them, they could never take away sin. They only covered the, they only covered the sin. They couldn't deal with the conscience. They couldn't free you from a guilty conscience. You know what David prayed when he sinned with Bathsheba? He says, praise afterwards, after he has repented. He says, oh God, cleanse me from blood guilt. The guilt of what he has done remained on his conscience. When 
And so we see under the law, even though God had instituted all these offerings, even though he had instituted the sacrifices, the ceremonial cleansing, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling, and all these things that were instituted, they could never take away sin. All that they did was cover. All it was was a picture of one who was coming, who would be the real one, who would deal with the sin that separated us from God. And so, so you find they fellowship with God and they were to be a witness to the nations around them. The nations around knew that God dwelt amongst his people. When they were in the, when they were in the wilderness, they knew that God was over them by a cloud of fire by night and a pillar, sorry, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was over his people. God was had called out a people who were distinctly, were to be distinctly his people and they were to walk and they were to represent him among all the nations as a holy people to the Lord. That's why he instituted the sacrifices, the offerings for sin and the law giving them so that law given to them so that they would walk in a way that they were what was pleasing to him. And if they walked in obedience to him, then they would live long in the land. But we find in their life, we find through their history that they went off and they served other gods. They went off and they turned away from the Lord. And when you turn away from the Lord, it affects the way you live. When you don't want to come God's way through the blood of the Lamb, when you don't want to worship God in the way that he has prescribed, it affects your life. You go away from God. You start doing things that are displeasing to the Lord. That brings judgment of the Lord upon you. And we find that Israel, that's exactly what they did. They turned away from the Lord. They committed spiritual adultery. They turned to other gods and they didn't give God the honor and the glory that was due to his name. And we find this. And then finally, God puts them aside. He, he doesn't, he casts them aside, not, not forever because the promises and the, 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 the promises that he made through Jeremiah and all the prophets, he hasn't cast them off forever, but he, they were put, they were, they were removed from the land because God, they, God couldn't justly allow them to remain in the land doing the things they did when he had removed the Canaanites from the land for the things that they did. And when they behaved themselves in a way, in the way that the Canaanites were behaving, God says, I can't allow you to remain in the land because you've corrupted the land and they went into exile. But I want to concentrate mainly on the sacrifice this morning. This, this, the blood that was, that was offered continually, it could never take away sin. And this is what it says when Jesus comes into the world, when the promised Messiah comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now this is taken from Psalm 40. This is prophetic of the Lord Jesus. And he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So God didn't desire sacrifice and offering. And he says, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not well pleased. 
even though he had instituted them by the law, even though they were required by the law, yet God was not well pleased with them. You know why? Because they could never take away sin. They could never deal with the guilty conscience. All that they were was a picture. And all that the tabernacle was, was a picture of what was in heaven. And so we find in Hebrews 9, it says, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he's coming, he's come as the high priest, the fulfillment of all the, the tabernacle which was spoke of him. He's the fulfillment of it all. And when he comes, he comes high priest of the good things that are already here, the things that he has accomplished for us. He went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not the tabernacle. He didn't enter the tabernacle on this world, which was Herod's temple. He didn't enter that one. He entered heaven itself. There, and it says this, he, he did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and of goats, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And he did it for us. His blood obtained eternal redemption for us. And he says, the blood of bulls and of goats, the ashes of heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. They sanctified them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that we may serve the living God. Isn't it amazing what God has done? The blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. But when this man had offered one sacrifice for sin, when he had offered one sacrifice, not year after year, going in, offering himself, because if, he, if, if he's, he would have had to die from the fact, if he, if he had followed what those sacrifices did, he would have had to be sacrificed from the foundation of the world. But once, it says, one sacrifice for sin. And this is what he says in Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands performing his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered one sacrifice for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to become his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those that are being made holy. It's amazing what Jesus has done for us. By one sacrifice, he has made us perfect forever, those who are being made holy. And then he says this, this is the covenant I will make with them at that time, says the Lord. Now, this, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant, not the old covenant, the new covenant. When Jesus was in the upper room and he took the bread and the wine, which we have shared this morning in remembrance of what he had, has done, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. The old covenant could never take away sin. It could only cover sin. But this new covenant 
takes away sin completely. You know, when God forgives, he forgets. When God has dealt with us with our sin, he has put all our sin away, completely taken away, not just covered it. He's taken it all away. He never will remember it again. Isn't that precious? No matter what I've done, I can be cleansed and I can be forgiven and I can have a clean conscience before God. I can stand before him accepted in the beloved. And it's interesting because God says in Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with them. And he says they didn't abide in my covenant, but this is the covenant God says after that time. I will put my laws into their hearts. I will write them upon their minds. And he says, their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. And that covenant that God has promised to make with the nation of Israel, he, he makes that covenant with us. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, in the new covenant, when we receive the Lord Jesus, we receive life. We receive his spirit. When we receive him, he writes upon our hearts his laws. They're not on tablets of stone. God, God doesn't write his laws now in the new covenant on tablets of stone. He writes upon, upon the fleshy tables of our hearts. He puts his law into our hearts. He gives us the desire to love him. The scripture says, when we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He cleanses us. He washes us. He remembers our sins no more so that we can stand before him absolutely perfect, accepted in the beloved, accepted in his sight. It's amazing what he's done. It's precious what he's done. He's removed our sin completely away. You know what the, the, the thing is? It says, it says this. When he says, here I am, I have come to do your will. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, the will of the Father, that he would offer himself as, a, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, something that the law could never do, all the offerings that could, could never accomplish. He says he sets aside the first that he may establish the second. You see, that first covenant was a temporary covenant. The second is an eternal covenant. It will never pass away. The first covenant has been done away with. All the sacrifices, I don't have to bring a sacrifice. I don't have to bring a lamb. I don't have to bring the blood of bulls and of goats. The way into the presence of God has been made clear for me. There's nothing obstructing me now from coming into the presence of God. And God wants us to draw near. God wants us to come near. That's why it says, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever believes, it's for whosoever will, may come and draw near to God. God has removed all the obstacles. He's removed the sin. It's interesting. It says in John, 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's for those who believe. And not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. The whole, the sin of the whole world has been paid for completely now and forever. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, the blood of Christ was sufficient for the whole world, but it's only effective in those who believe. We have to receive Christ to enter in to everything that God has promised us. All the blessings of God are in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. And all of God's promises and blessings are in him. Forever. We have an amazing entrance. And so God has removed any obstacle that might be in the way so that we can now approach the presence of God. We don't have to take a lamb like Abel did. We don't have to take the offerings like under the law. But by faith, we come and we accept what only Christ could do on our behalf for the sin of our souls so that we can come near to God. And God wants us to draw near. God wants us to have fellowship with him because God wants us to wants to write upon his upon our heart his laws his ways his plan purposes so that we, our lives may be directed by him so that as Enoch walked with God so we may walk with God we might not have the smile of the world upon us we won't have the smile of the world upon us but I'd rather have the smile of God upon my life than to have the commendation of this world. I'd rather walk a narrow pathway with God, walking in cleanness, having a clean mind, a clean heart, and knowing the presence of God in my life than having a heart, a heart that is half-hearted, a heart that is cold towards the things of God, a heart that drips away, a heart that compromises, God wants us to have a sincere heart. And this is what he says in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood, we can come into the most holy place by the blood. We can come into the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way. This is the new covenant which he has established in his blood. Through the curtain that is his body, his flesh and blood, by the person of the Lord Jesus, we come through him and he says, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, so we have, we have the way made plain for us, and we have this high priest who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, who intercedes for us, who hears every cry that we may cry. The cry of the weakest sinner who comes in repentance to God, toward, to God Jesus hears that cry and he answers that cry. He is our great high priest. He is 
where he is, is the throne of grace, which is the mercy seat, where we find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And he says, since we have this, since having boldness or confidence to enter, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies wash with pure water you know one of the greatest burdens that you can have is guilt guilt because of what you have done guilt that weighs upon your conscience but you know what the glorious thing is when you come to the lord jesus he cleanses you from a guilty conscience he deals with your past and god puts it in the sea of his forgetfulness and you know what god says about the past he says, forget the past. You have so many good things in me. You have so many promises in me. Look to me and I will strengthen you. I will help you. You know, as so many people, they say, oh, I've got to look back to the past. The past is my problem. That's why I'm having problems with the present. No, God says, I've forgiven the past. Forget the past and believe the promises that I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters and i will provide everything that you need and he says if i've forgiven you forget the past you know what corrie ten boom said this she, she said god says this about my past he puts the sea, he puts my sin in the sea of his forgetfulness and he puts up a sign no fishing no fishing because you know what happens when you look back to the past sorrow fills your heart sorrow fills your heart because there's regret there's the weight of guilt when you look around and you see the worry of the world that's around you you can you can let worry fill your heart but if you look up if you look ahead and you set your hope fully upon the grace that is to be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. When you set your hope fully upon that, it, it lifts your eyes off the things of this world, off the past, and it gives you a hope. It gives you an assurance. And this is what Paul, oh, the writer of the Hebrews says. He says, let's draw near to God. Then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful we have one who is faithful we have one who will never fail us he's our intercessor he's the one who will strengthen us he's the one who'll take us through this life strengthening us in the difficulties of life and you know what the difficulties of life do to us they put strength in our souls. You ever wondered why you face temptation? You ever wonder why you face difficulties in the things of life where temptation might come your way and it does come your way? And sometimes it comes like a snare. It seeks to grab you. You know what God does in allowing these things to come into our life? He's wanting to see the genuineness of our faith in him. He's wanting us to trust him. He's wanting us to realize that our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength comes from him. 
And we need to go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we see, he says, let's hold to this hope we profess because he's faithful. He's faithful. And then he, he goes on, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and to good works. To, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to, to help one another. And then he says this, and let us not give up meeting together as some of the, are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's what I'm doing to you this morning. I'm seeking to encourage you. And the more and more as we see the day approaching, we, we need to be encouraged that we know we have somebody who will never fail us, somebody who has never failed all those who have come and put their trust in him in the past, who have found him to be faithful and true. And we can trust him today. We know his word. It's tried. It's tested. It says the word of God is like gold, tried seven times in a furnace. It's pure. Those who trust in him will never be put to shame because he is a faithful and a merciful high priest. Isn't it amazing that we have a merciful and a faithful high priest? Not just amazing. It's so precious that we have him because without him, we will be hopeless in this world. What hope do you have if you don't have the Lord Jesus? What hope for the future is there if you don't have this hope that we have, that he has gone to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we will be with him. And that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming into this world, was to pay the price for sin, to call out a people for himself, a, call, a people who will listen to his voice and draw near to him, to fellowship with him, to walk with him, and then it says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Don't you love him this morning? Don't you find him precious? I've found him precious. And I find that day by day, he's precious to me. I may not be able to articulate really well sometimes what's in my mind and what's in my heart, but I trust this morning that, you have got a little bit out of God's word that we can draw near and that we can fellowship with God and he has made the way for us. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah.